you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. With the very latest on COVID-19 and vaccination, joining us from the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, Associate Professor in Infectious Diseases and Director for Antimicrobial Stewardship at the Geffen School of Medicine, Dr. Tara Vijayan. Thank you so much, Dr. Vijayan, for joining us on AirTalk. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk first about uh, it's the second day of the city of Los Angeles with its proof of vaccination requirement or recent negative COVID test for uh, almost all indoor spaces with just a few exceptions. Uh, Your thoughts about uh, this and the effect you see it likely having? You know, uh, I, I think it's a it's a very positive thing. I think it'll allow us to get one step closer to normal, to allowing us not to mask indoors, um, to really just having uh, as normal of a life as we possibly can. And ideally hope and hope that it encourages individuals who haven't been vaccinated yet to get vaccinated. One of the things we're seeing is is that booster shots are lagging behind what had been anticipated, because I think the thought was that the early adopters of vaccination uh, would be anxious similarly to get a booster shot to make sure that their their vaccination coverage stays strong. Have you been surprised that we have not seen more of a rush for people to get the additional dose? You know, I'm not terribly surprised. I think there's been a lot of confusion about what the booster actually does and how effective it is and in what populations really benefit benefit the most from the boosters. Um, I think there's certainly, you know, within even our own infectious disease circles, um, there's been some some debate in part because just from an equity perspective, we want to make sure that as many people in the world get vaccinated as possible. Having said that, you know, I, I think that we we do have some some good data to support boosters, certainly in the in the older populations and the over 65 populations. And that's true for any vaccine. So with um, influenza, for example, we recommend a higher dose of the influenza vaccine because we know that older individuals have an increased risk um, of uh, immune senescence, meaning that they're their immune system actually declines over time, in particular their T cells. So giving them an added boost makes sense in that population. 
Uh, we also, you know, we do have some evidence that Pfizer in particular, and there was, an, there was a nice CDC report in September that suggested that individuals um, who, were, who had gotten their second shot uh, over 120 days prior um, did have a slightly increased risk of uh, infection and, and actually hospitalization. So the effectiveness actually declined from 89% to 77% overall among those who received Pfizer more than uh, four months prior. So given that, I think there are select populations, again, high-risk populations that would benefit the most. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I think we should continue to advocate for those high-risk populations to get the booster. Um, and, you know, hopefully with time, it'll become a little bit more apparent how important the booster is for additional populations. Dr. Vijayan, uh, the New York Times is reporting that Pfizer is expected to soon ask the FDA for approval for its booster to be used in all adults, not just those 65 and older and those uh, who have underlying conditions or are immunosuppressed. What do you think about that? And, and do you think it would make sense for the FDA to open up that approval for all uh, adult recipients of the Pfizer vaccine to get that booster dose? Yeah, I do. Honestly, um, Larry, I think, uh, you know, again, that and I and I to be perfectly honest, I was definitely a little reluctant to get the booster again because I really wanted to make sure as many people got vaccinated, period, as possible worldwide. Um, I think with the with the data that came out in September that suggested that decrease in effectiveness from about 89% to 77%, it does suggest that, and, and this was specifically looking at hospitalizations. Um, that there is a benefit for Pfizer specifically for having a booster beyond six months. Uh, speaking of hospitalizations, we are seeing an increase in inland parts of California. Hospitalizations are up about 20 percent. And even in Orange County, which is a comparatively well-vaccinated county, its hospitalizations up about 16 uh, percent uh, since the end of the month. Your thoughts about you know what we're seeing? Is, is this related to cooler evenings, perhaps? Is it people getting together on Halloween? Or is it you know people who are starting to see vaccine um, uh, strength waning and haven't gotten booster shots? You know, it's a really good question. And it's likely, uh, certainly, I can't comment to the temperature. I don't think temperature necessarily has much to do with it, other, other than the fact that we are all perhaps congregating more indoors. Um, I think that um, certainly um, the fewer booster shots may be, may be a factor here. Um, and, and, you know, certainly, uh, you know, um, uh, when people actually congregate indoors in a significant proportion, they are at higher risk of potentially transmitting. So I think all of those factors are, are certainly uh, a possibility here. All right. Uh, and again, of course, inland areas of California on average have lower rates of vaccination as well. So um, regardless of boosters, just overall vaccination, lower rates, which, of course, puts that population at higher risk. You have questions for our guest from the UCLA School of Medicine, Dr. Tara Vijayan. We're at 866-893-KPECC. You can also email questions for her at atcomments at kpcc.org. 
please include your location and your first name. You can tweet a question at AirTalk. Again, please include, along with your Twitter handle, your location. And uh, you can post on the AirTalk Facebook page. So four ways for you to contact us with your questions. 866-893-KPECC. Dr. Vijayan, yesterday we saw in downtown Los Angeles thousands come out to protest the uh, employer uh, employer vaccination requirements, such as the city of Los Angeles has. A number of people were wearing their uh, uniforms that they wear as you know part of working for uh, local jurisdictions. You know your your thoughts on on what this is going to mean with significant percentages of of workers who say they are not going to get vaccinated and might end up sidelined in their jobs and you know is it in your view is is that worth the comparative risk involved in not having those people doing what are essential jobs in many cases it's a really good question i think you know we the the history we've had mandates previously this is not a new thing by any means and certainly you know in the school systems and in um, in various other institutions, we've required certain types of vaccines, for example, in the hospitals. Any hospital employee has always been required to have vaccinations against hepatitis B, um, various bloodborne pathogens, just in case they get exposed potentially to, you know, from a needle stick or any number of things. So none of these things are particularly new in the school systems. We've always actually had, um, we've had vaccination requirements. Um, you know, I, I think that vaccination requirements do encourage most people um, to get vaccinated. I think there, there remains a minority who um, get very upset that this is a requirement. And my hope is that we can continue to do some outreach to those communities um, that remain reluctant. Um, you know, I, I think that overall, the benefit of mandates uh, likely out, outweighs the relatively small risk of individuals choosing not to get vaccinated and deciding to actually not work because of that. We're talking with UCLA School of Medicine Professor Tara Vijayan, and we welcome your questions for her about COVID-19 and vaccination at 866-893-KPECC. France's health authority is advised against those under the age of 30 taking the Moderna vaccine. The Moderna vaccine has become very popular here in the U.S. because of studies that appear to show it having a longer-lasting effect even than the highly effective Pfizer vaccine. Uh, Your thoughts, Dr. Vijayan, about uh, France recommending because of concerns about myocarditis, particularly in younger men, that those under 30 should avoid it? Yeah, it's, um, it's it's interesting that they've done that. I would say, you know, I, I think the first thing is your your point originally that Moderna does seem to last a little bit longer is probably one of the more salient points. You know, do you actually need a Moderna booster for individuals un, under the age of 30? I think that in and of itself is sort of debatable at the moment. Um, I, I have been concerned about the very small risk of myocarditis um, and, you know, the risk, uh, particularly in young men, um, has been about 11 out of 100,000 um, which is higher than any other adverse event that we see with any of the vaccines, um, but still very, very small. And all of those individuals actually uh, who have gotten myocarditis uh, have done fine. They, you know, they, um, there have been no deaths associated with myocarditis. 
Um, but, but, you know, nobody wants to get myocarditis. So that, that is a risk that we have to all really think hard about and really think about what is the benefit of giving a particular vaccine. And I would say giving Moderna in a young population, knowing that Moderna actually, uh, Moderna booster, I should say, in a young population, knowing that they are, um, you know, that they likely actually have some added benefit for a longer period of time, um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe not worth it immediately. I wonder, though, if I was a woman under 30, for example, and uh, getting vaccinated for the first time or whether I might still consider wanting to have the Moderna booster for that that apparently longer um, active period, um, knowing that the myocarditis is is largely a side effect for men. Yeah, also a a good question. Again, um, you know, this sort of uh ultimately uh, is based on what is the added benefit of that booster and and yes i guess in theory you can have a potentially longer period of immunity although i don't think we've completely confirmed that um that yet now uh again if they got pfizer um and um they are eligible for the pfizer booster i think that it's reasonable to pursue the pfizer booster i think having a Moderna booster after the Pfizer and and whether that actually confers um, a longer period of immunity compared with two original Moderna uh, shots. I don't think we have those data yet, so I think that's still to be determined. State health officials are urging that uh, those who have passed six months since their most recent vaccination uh, get booster shots ahead of the holidays. Of course, we have Thanksgiving coming up with people getting together and then the Christmas and other year-end holidays that are going to be coming after that. Um, Are you particularly concerned, Dr. Vijayan, about um, we might be seeing some surges as people get together for the holidays? Yeah, I mean, you know, if we if history uh, is any indication, we saw our first real surge actually last winter, just at around this time, actually, just after Thanksgiving, I would say we start to see a, a precipitous rise in cases. My hope, obviously, is that we have enough vaccination coverage for that not to happen. But um, I, I think it is certainly possible. And I think we have to be quite vigilant this winter. Dave in Venice emailed, you know, speaking of the new um, proof of vaccination requirements, said uh, yesterday went to see the James Bond movie, first time back in theaters. Uh, Dave said they checked my vaccination card on my phone, uh, checked my driver's license, only 10 other people in the theater. I felt comfortable, Dave said. Well, Dave, I'm glad you were able to enjoy going back, uh, having that indoor theater experience. I actually haven't done that yet, so uh, I've still, uh, I don't know, I'm just being a little conservative about that. No rational reason I can give you as I'm fully vaccinated and boosted, but that's something I, I still haven't done yet. Jennifer in Idlewild emailed uh, saying, with breakthrough infections, doesn't it seem maybe the vaccinated should be tested as often as the unvaccinated? Dr. Vijayan? Yeah, it, that is, that's certainly a thought. I mean, we, we are in a very nice period at the moment where our overall rates are very low. Uh, so there isn't, you know, the the labor and work and cost of actually routinely screening vaccinated individuals is actually um, probably higher than than the benefit of doing that. Um, certainly, I think in times of surges, it's something to potentially consider. Um, although, you know, I I think that overall um, we've done a pretty decent job with 
screening are symptomatic individuals. The antigen test actually is a great test for symptomatic individuals specifically. Um, so if we could actually really encourage wider spread use of antigen testing for early symptomatic individuals, we could potentially um, really try to prevent more transmission that way. Well, and, and the other thing is, you know, particularly for boosters, they're showing such a high uh, rate of effectiveness. And for those that do have breakthrough cases, they're typically mild or asymptomatic. Um, what's your sense of how much those breakthrough cases are really contributing to um, multiple infections? It's a really good question and one that I don't think we have uh, 100% understanding of, but we know that individuals with breakthrough in infections who, were, who have been vaccinated can potentially transmit. Um, the degree to which they can transmit, it remains uncertain. Um, I, I, I suspect, honestly, that, you know, um, there's sort of this theory of viral load. So how much viral load do you actually have? Um, and um, a great colleague of mine through whom I met through Twitter, Tim Leahy, he writes for the New York Times quite frequently. Um, he has this great analogy of um, wearing an umbrella uh, during a, uh, a rain shower versus a storm. And there's no question that when you have the umbrella um, during a rain shower, you're, you're not going to get wet versus a storm. You're going to get a little bit of, you're going to get a little wet. Um, so ultimately, the bottom line is, you know, it just depends on, you know, how much rain you're getting exposed to, how much virus you're getting exposed to. And if you if you're not exposed to a lot of a lot of virus because you're vaccinated, you're less likely to transmit a lot of virus. That's the bottom line. Julio in Panorama City emailed us, should it concern people that VAERS, uh, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, is no longer taking reports of side effects? Uh, that's an interesting question, Julio. I'm actually not aware that they're no longer taking um, reports of adverse side effects. We are actually obligated to report any serious event um, to the FDA regardless. So uh, that is not something that I'm actually aware of. Okay. Uh, Julio will try and do some further uh, research on that and, and just confirm uh, that or th that it's not just down temporarily. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Stephen Pasadena emailed us. I need to get routine blood work for a physical this week, and I'm scheduled for a Moderna, Moderna booster this week as well. Does the blood draw have any uh, effect on getting the booster? No, it should not have any effect on getting the booster. You can get your blood draw, and it shouldn't. It, there shouldn't be any issues at all. Amy, Amy in Pasadena emailed us. My 76-year-old mother was hospitalized earlier this year with COVID. She's received three Moderna shots, but I'm concerned her immunity is waning because her last shot was more than six months ago. Should she now get a fourth shot? So great question, Amy. Um, you know, uh, first, I'm glad that that she did get all three shots. Um, there's no reason to believe that she needs a fourth shot at the moment. We think that three shots are actually sufficient, even for our elderly population. 
so hopefully there won't be any particular issues there. Presumably she got a the full third shot dose of Moderna, given it was six months ago before the half booster dose was being distributed. What what would be the potential harm in uh, his her, her mother getting a fourth booster or a fourth shot, I should say, of Moderna since it has been more than six months? Would there be any indication that getting one every six months would pose a harm? You know, the the truth is that we don't really know. I mean, as we've seen with Moderna, there is a slightly increased signal for certain types of what I would call um, almost autoimmune types of conditions like the myocarditis, right? The myocarditis is basically your own uh, body creating antibodies against um, its, um, its heart muscles. And so I think that there, there remains, it's, it's uncertain if there's actually a potential risk. I would be very cautious with getting a fourth shot because we simply just don't know if there is an added risk of any of those types of conditions. Let's talk with Brown in Ladera Ranch. You're on air talk. Um, hello. Hi. I have an 11-year-old sister, uh, and my parents actually want to keep her unvaccinated until she's 12, so that'll be next year. So I because they want her to get the full dose for the 12 and 18-year-olds. I I just want to ask if that's necessary at all. All right. That's a a really great question. Um, And honestly, I would say she should just get vaccinated now because we don't really know what this winter is going to look like. We want to try to make sure that she remains safe in school. Um, I actually got both of my children who are younger, uh, five and eight, vaccinated on Sunday. Uh, And, you know, waiting uh, for the full dose uh, may not be really worth the trade-off, the risk of potentially getting COVID when, if we have another increase uh, in cases. Well, I also wonder if, and I I don't know, Brown, when your sister turns 12 next year, but um, she could get a dose of the, um, what's appropriate for the 11-year-old now, and then could she not get a second dose um, next year once she's turned 12 that would be at the at the older uh, dosage rate? Yeah, you know, we, we recommend that the dosing interval be at least 21 days, but ideally not long after the 21 days for the second shot. So it really just, again, it depends on her birthday. That's true. Um, but if she won't turn 12 until... Um, you know, next year until 2022. It's probably worth just getting both shots um, this year if she can. All right, Brown, thanks very much for your call. Uh, Jim and Torrance said, I got my Moderna booster about eight days ago. I had no adverse reactions to the first two doses, uh, but the booster gave me bad arthritis flare-ups. I feel like people with arthritis should be warned about the flare-ups when they're about to get the booster shots. Now, we have to caution, um, it's not always clear that it's actually uh, the vaccine that is causing that because people do have arthritis flare-ups that could be just a coincidence of time, uh, sometimes difficult to know. But um, does it make sense that, uh, especially what you were saying about autoimmune issues, that someone could see an increase in arthritis symptoms after getting one of the vaccine shots? Yes, it, it depends on the type of arthritis. So osteoarthritis versus rheumatoid arthritis. You know, we don't have data to support that particular adverse 
event. And I think that it is important um, because of that to potentially report those kinds of events to your doctor um, and make sure that, you know, potentially that that may get reported to the FDA. Um, but it, it, part of it depends on what type of arthritis we're talking about. Osteoarthritis, which is what many individuals have, um, is not an autoimmune condition. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis is and um, could there be, it, it is possible. Um, again, I don't, you know, I don't wanna overstate um, things that we don't really know. I think the bottom line is we just don't know what the potential risks are of additional boosters beyond the three boosters um, that we're seeing, right? That we're recommending right now. Uh, and just responding to our listener, uh, Julio in Panorama City's comment about the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, or VAERS, um, there's nothing to suggest on the site that it's not taking uh, reports on side effects. Uh, there's a form easily accessible there for anyone to report an issue. So that's just uh, what we've been able to determine about, about VAERS. Uh, let's talk with Ian, joining us from Culver City. You're on air talk with Dr. Vijayan. Hello. Uh, uh, thank you for, for having me. Um, I have a, a question about the, uh, the, the breakthrough cases in combination with the boosters. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm pro-vax, you know, and my, my family, you know, we're all, we're all fully vaxxed. My concern is that uh, I've heard about some of these breakthrough cases. Uh, thankfully, we're all fine. So, you know, great, good. Um, the concern is uh, with the possibility of waning efficacy uh, with regards to these uh, vaccines, uh, is, there poss- is there the possibility of like an ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement issue coming up? I'm only concerned that we could end up uh, being dependent on, on boosters. I mean, you know, if you carry it out, theoretically, that's possible. Is it, am, am I am I missing something, Doctor Vijayan? Yeah, let me let me try to take your question in um, piece by piece, actually. So, uh, because there was a lot there, and thank you for that. Um, so, the first question is uh, the first part of this is you know the, the issue of breakthrough infections, and I think that overall the hope is that with these boosters we can actually redu- reduce even breakthrough infections, right? So, if we can get our antibody levels you know, our immunity is two, twofold, B cells and T cells, and the B cells are what produces our antibodies. And the antibodies are sort of our primary initial defense, if we have them, against these viruses from attaching onto different parts of our body, no, namely our lungs. So if we have enough antibodies, the hope is that we won't actually have these breakthrough um, infections. I think the second part of your question is is this theory of antibody-dependent enhancement, which is actually, uh, you know, it's certainly what we have been thinking about with um, myocarditis, for example, with the um, uh, with uh, both COVID infection and with vaccinations, and and the idea is that um, can antibodies sort of increase. uh, sort of the effects of the immune system um, in targeting various parts of its body, uh, of your body, um, either when you're infected or when you get the vaccine. Uh, I think it's pretty theoretical, to be perfectly honest, that particular notion, that particular biologic notion. Um, and we don't really have any evidence that that actually is the true cause of what we're seeing, either with myocarditis or with MIS-C, for example, the multi system 
um, inflammatory syndrome in children or in adults, Miss A. Um, but it is something that people are exploring very closely. I think no matter what, that whole effect is a very, very small risk um, compared to the, the benefits of uh, the vaccine and the booster, uh, definitely with Pfizer, likely with Moderna in select populations. All right. Ian, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, Grace in Culver City uh, asks, have there been reports of people uh, suffering a loss of hearing after receiving a vaccine? Grace says a friend of hers swears that after the shot, hearing in one ear uh, decreased and, and it now has to get a hearing aid. Again, it's so you know, it's so hard to determine whether it's causal related to vaccination or something that's happened independent of that, because we tend to attribute any significant change that we've had after getting a vaccination to the vaccination itself. Um, Dr. Vijayan, your, your thoughts about and have we heard about uh, this issue with hearing? So I have not specifically heard about hearing loss with the COVID vaccines. Uh, It has actually been reported in an extraordinarily rare rate um, with with other vaccines, um, including uh, the MMR vaccine, but very, very rare. I mean, I'm talking about one in, you know, one in 10 million or something along those lines. Um, and, and as you pointed out, Larry, you know, we, we do have to be sort of mindful of, of the signal and, and really attributing causality here. Um, having said that, you know, I think that, again, the, that these things should be reported just so we can filter the signal from the noise um, so that the epidemiologists who are looking into this, so that the FDA who are looking into this can really be very mindful of, of what is a potential signal and what is not. 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, or I should say our AirTalk email, atcomments at kpecc.org. Tony in Echo Park said there was a VA study came came out that showed uh, both Pfizer and Moderna's uh, effectiveness uh, went down by 20% after six months. Um, I'm not familiar with that study, but Dr. Vijayan, did you see such a study? So I, uh, I am aware that the VA published that study. I, I, I do not, I did not, um, I'm not aware that that was actually the effect size. Uh, but, you know, as I said, I think uh, the, the CDC study that was published in September actually suggested that Moderna actually retained its effectiveness for, for a number of months. So, um, so to be determined, I think we do have to probably take these studies in some uh, and try to really determine what the true reduction in effectiveness is over time. Uh, And uh, we have Kate in Lakewood who emailed us, what are your thoughts of having an unmasked Thanksgiving gathering if all adults are fully vaccinated, including boosters, and kids have received their first dose? I'm in support of it. Absolutely. Um, You know, I I think that um, this is what the vaccine is for. The, The vaccine is so that we can get together and try to resume our normal lives as much as possible. You know, do I, I don't recommend uh, mass gatherings uh, indoors of thousands of people, but certainly family and friends, the way you used to have Thanksgiving, um, if you're all vaccinated and if your children have received at least one dose, that's, that's amazing. That's great. All right. Dr. Vijayan, thank you so much for spending time with us today and answering the questions. Uh, It's great to have you with us on the program. I look forward to talking with you again. 
Likewise, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.